before we move on to episode two, just a brief brief review of what happened in the previous episode. We had the young Arab girl return successfully to her father with all sorts of conditions. We had the successful recovery of Mary Valdez, partly by nemesis and with an assist from the biker gang back to her parents. And we had the situation with the very wealthy CEO, Gary Spencer, who had suffered from a brain tumor that was successfully removed. However, that looks like it's an ongoing issue. somebody that's being dragged across the floor backwards. The small female hands are outstretched. She's trying to grab hold of table and chair legs, trying to hang on to something, but each time she takes hold, an adult hand with a spider tattoo on the back rips it free. There are muffled, childlike screams, as if a gag is in place. The screams increase as she's dragged further and further across the never-ending room. The dragging continues. The muffled cries continue. Not again, not again, not again. That's the recurring theme of the dream. Suddenly, in Kathy's apartment, she sits up, bolt right. She's sweating, she's swearing. She puts her head in her hands. This needs to stop. I'm going nuts. Remembering something that never happened. But it's the same dream every time. That spider tattoo is so clear, but I've never seen it before. This is crazy. Kathy's phone buzzes and snaps her out of a post-dream trauma. She picks it up. It's a text from Felix. Morning, boss. Mostly a quiet night. Two false alarms, one area transport. A Bright's Junior's assistant has called ready to ask you to call her. One of the false alarms was his place, but we got there pretty quick, three minutes. He had triggered it himself as he left the house. You know those alarm systems that if you put in the wrong code it sends a panic signal? That's what happened. Can you give me a call when you're moving? Thanks. is empty except for one person. We see his back. We move closer to reveal a priest silently sobbing. He's holding a bottle of pills, looking at the label, and with difficulty he removes the cap. At his feet is a small white business card. He looks at the bottle of pills for a while, making a decision, and reaches down for the card. He studies the card intensely. Moments later, the distraught priest takes out his mobile phone, looks at the card and dials. 
Felix's writing on his beloved operations board to setting out his week. He steps back and admires his work. Then the 9-8 hotline rings. Felix picks it up. Felix speaking, may I help you? No answer. Someone's on the line. Felix can hear him. Someone's quietly crying. Felix gently into the phone. Hello, this is Felix. It sounds like you're in trouble. I'm sure we can help. Felix throws a pen at Jody, who's studying her computer. As the pen hits her, she looks up and Felix nods for her to come over. She moves across to listen in. taxi pulls up next to the high-rise office block in the downtown core. Kathy, along with Vlad, exit the vehicle in smart business attire. We follow them into the building. Kathy heads towards the stairwell, pulling Vlad with her. Vlad's annoyed. Boss, it's on the 14th floor, for fuck's sake. I'm not a mountain goat. Kathy doesn't respond until they reach the stairwell. She reaches out and it's locked. Kathy looks at it, very annoyed. Vlad has a particular sense of victory about him. Now he's looking relieved. This is fucked up, Vlad, says Kathy. It's a safety violation, I should report it. But as they move around to the bank of elevators, Vlad mentions, what is it with you and elevators, boss? Did you have some sort of bad experience with them? They step into the open elevator. Vlad, whatever happened with between me and elevators is none of your goddamn business. So shut your noise and we'll move upstairs. But I don't want any more yak, yak, yak from you. The elevator door closes. Minutes later, we see an impressive conference room. Big table, plenty of chairs. But Kathy and Vlad are sat in there alone. Kathy's looking very tense as she checks the time on her iPad. Vlad, I make it that these assholes are nearly 10 minutes late. Agreed? Felix checks his watch. Well, actually, it's nearly 12 minutes. But Kath, climb, calm down. This is a big-time corporate setup. They probably have something else urgent on the go. I don't give a flying fuck. They invited us here. We're now wasting our time. So, come on, let's get out of here. Vlad reluctantly follows Kathy out of the room. As they exit, their client, Barry Klein, the CEO of Klein Coffee, walks past. He stops when he recognizes Kathy. Ignorant of the whole scenario, Barry Klein addresses Kathy. Hey, you guys finished already? What did my team say? Kathy gets a very severe look from Vlad. She looks at Barry Klein. So your finance, security, and insurance people seem to have forgotten our meeting. I guess they don't need us as much as you thought they did. So we're off into the sunset. Klein is obviously embarrassed. Guys, look, I'm so sorry. There must be some confusion. Grab a nice big free Klein coffee. Um, maybe sit back down in the boardroom. Give me five minutes and I'll rustle something up. There's got to be a problem. Kathy and Vlad, half in and half out of the boardroom, return 
once more to their chairs. As both are sitting, Vlad sees Kathy's angry face, tries to calm the situation. Boss, calm down. These guys are all annoyed. Klein told them to meet with us. These are ex-cop security guys. We know they're a joke, but they're worried we might embarrass them. But it's a big issue out there. They have no clue how to handle it. We do. So let's not beat them up too much, okay? Kathy isn't listening to all of Vlad's cliched advice. She's pounding away on her iPad. She's sending a text to Felix. The text reads, Felix, got your text? So give the good father a safety word in case the media come nudging around. You go, Felix. Leave Jody in the ops room. You're a Catholic and a man. You're the sort that he'd rather deal with. She's still looking at the screen. She's thinking. Additional text to Felix. Felix, get Trevor to drive you. Go grab the good father from the side door and take him to our safe place. Okay? Do not, under any circumstances, leave him alone. I don't want any dead priest today on our hands. Okay? Thanks. Kathy looks up as the Klein coffee team, three in total, march into the boardroom. They all take seats. None of them is looking too happy. Jody smiles. She enjoys a fight. see Felix leading the Catholic priest, the one previously sobbing in the cathedral, through the back gate of a small townhouse. The house and the area neat, tidy, nondescript. Felix is knocked on the door and is greeted by an elderly man with a very large dog at his feet. The dog looks fearsome, but he seems to know Felix and he's comfortable. However, the animal is less certain about the figure alongside Felix wearing the white collar in black. The dog seems to sense bad karma. Felix addresses the man at the door. Hi, Mr. Jones. He looks down at the dog. And you, Boris. I'm sorry just to drop in like this, Mr. Jones, but we need someone away from the storm. Father Gray here needs a little quiet time but he needs some company as well. Are you free to help? It will only be for a few days, but he must stay here and he must be indoors. Maybe Mrs. Jones can rustle up some food and a little drink. Father Gray isn't one of our problem drinking clients. Felix leans into Mr. Jones and whispers, the media are on his tail, Mr. Jones. If they show up, please call us. Felix turns and talks to Father Gray. Now, Father, no phone, please. No internet, no walkabout. This storm you are going through will die down, but not if they can find where you are. I'm meeting with the Archbishop later today. He'll know what to do. Stepping forward, Mr. Jones puts an arm around the priest's shoulders and leads him into the small house. Boris the dog trots after them. He's adopted a more friendly tone towards the priest. 
that dog ever turns ferocious, it could be a problem, thinks Felix. Felix has returned to the vehicle driven by Trevor. They drive around the safe house in several circles. He and Trevor are familiarising themselves with what is normal and what's not normal in that particular area. Trevor seems a little bit bemused by this. Felix, is this always useful? Couldn't we attract attention? This is a safe area. No worries here as far as I can see. We don't know what's normal around here, Trev. How do we know when something is odd? Parking, spots, bus stops, stop signs with people hanging around, especially the media. They're quite clever at finding people, so we must spot them before they spot us. This is important. Anything we see when we come back to pick up the father is unusual, then we'll know how to react. You cannot see what's abnormal if you don't at first recognise the normal habits of the area. Trevor looks a bit shamefaced. Sorry, Felix, that was a dumb question. I'm glad I'm with you and not one of those piss-taking fuckers. I'd never live that sort of comment down. Things are pretty tense in the Klein coffee boardroom. Tense faces all round. The Klein delegation very keen to get rid of the Nemesis team. The lead security guy, ex-policeman by the name of Johnson, is addressing Kathy and Vlad. So there we have it, guys. I think you'll agree it's a good plan. Is there anything else? Any other questions? maybe that we can help you with? Of course, Johnson's not expecting any questions, but Vlad surprises him. So, Mr. Johnson, you don't think there are any issues here. You've got all your insurance and all your shops sorted out. Should something happen, you believe the local police will step in and help? And have you told your insurance company about the threat details? Have their response consultants reviewed your situation? Because if not, your insurance becomes null and void and you won't get any money that may be claimed through any actions out there. Mr. Johnson is getting increasingly annoyed. We cannot discuss our insurance situation with anybody outside of a select few. All of our special risk policies are covered by a non-disclosure. If that is breached, our coverage is void. Kathy steps in. Guys, if you haven't notified your insurance company of the specifics of the threat, you're not going to get any payout. I know you don't like the fact that the boss has asked us to come in and help. As you can see, Vlad is Russian. I've been to Russia several times. We know who's who in the Moscow Zoo. 
but you clever folk don't seem to need us. Do any of you guys understand things like proof of life? Who will answer at 4am when the brown and smelly hits the fan? I doubt it will be you. That's our job, answering the phone whenever. However, that said and done, Kathy stands up, starts to leave the room, as does Vlad. Kathy nears the exit, but she's sort of lost her temper at this stage. She turns to speak again. And guys, remember this little nugget. Mr. Klein has his son Mark working out there. He's running things. He's fully involved, fully engaged. And good luck with your careers if Mark gets caught up in anything at all. Good luck with your non-existent incident management plan. And trust me, relying on the police in the Moscow region is a bit of a joke, no matter how well you know them. Kathy exits the boardroom, followed closely by Vlad. The three coffee executives laugh after Nemesis exits. Nervously, Mr. Johnson leads the tirade. This is bullshit. Nothing is ever going to happen out there. Our insurance is solid and the local cops, who I know from when I was a cop, will help if needed. I hate these smart-ass consultants. They borrow your watch and then they tell you the time, but that's not going to happen to us guys. see Kathy and Vlad sitting in the back of a taxi. Vlad is on his phone talking in Russian. Kathy is staring out of the window at the passing world. She is preoccupied. Kathy is jerked back into the real world by Vlad grabbing at her shoulder. My former colleagues out there are keen to help, but they want me out there as a sign of good faith. They see this as a marketing challenge in for them. They think an appropriate action is required. Appropriate? What the fuck does that mean, says Kathy. It means if Mr. Johnson thinks that they can hold off on this, he and Klein Coffee are mistaken. Out there is the Wild West. It's all about credibility. Vlad, please simplify this. And not all of your Russian politics is a rolling ball bullshit with some people on top and other people being rolled over. Vlad try, is trying to prove a point. He's already said enough, but he's unsatisfied. So he comes again. You know, this could steamroller from here. There could be something very serious down the road. In fact, there must be action or their protection business model fails. And these mafia thugs, in fact, can't allow that. A business model? What a fucking joke. But I know it's true. Still, it's not our worry anymore. These jackasses aren't going to call for us. They're scared of us. Even if Mr. Klein thinks we're useful, they don't. We get stymied. End of story. So it looks like you're not going to be able to visit Mummy soon.
There's a row brewing in the nemesis office. Chu, the nemesis bookkeeper, a very unemotional Korean guy, is staring into his laptop. A small white Jack Russell Terrier growling lies at his feet. Felix is walking around the operation room looking very agitated. Chu continues to stare at his screen, no reaction. Felix says, Chu, if you tell me one more time that you don't care, I'll kick that ugly, miserable dog of yours across the room and you'll follow it. The dog will survive, says Chu. He is tough and I still won't care. We have budgets for a reason. You can't overspend. You do too much for these clients. You must either do less for them or charge more. It's really that simple. Felix stops wandering around and looks menacingly towards Chu. He stands leaning over Chu, who doesn't seem to react, but his dog does. It's leaping to its feet and yakking. Okay, let's talk to the boss about it. Now get out of here. In case the phone rings and your horrible dog starts barking, the clients will think they've reached the dog home. As Felix says this, the 9-8 hotline rings. Chu, looking shocked by this miracle, grabs the dog, slams his computer shut and hurries out of the hurries out of the office as Felix answers the hotline. Hello, Felix speaking. May I help you? We hear a yelling and a shouting at the other end of the phone. He holds the phone away from his ear while the caller rants. He tries to say something a couple of times, but the rant continues relentlessly. As the yelling stops, Felix says, Well, sir, I will pass on your concerns to Kathy, but I'm sure you will hear from her right away. She's expected in the office shortly. Thank you for calling. The call ends and Felix looks at the phone. He goes to his computer and accesses the hotline recording system and listens to the conversation he's just had with Mr. Bright Jr., David. The recording. Felix, I need to speak to your fucking boss. My girl left a message that she needs to call me and she's not called. That was over an hour ago. This is simply not... Felix hits the stop button on the recording. A pot of coffee is brewing and beside it is Trevor reading something on his phone. He reads something and we see Trevor's wide-eyed shock. He puts his phone down and deals with the coffee while he focuses on the phone screen. What he's just read, the headlines from the news channel, huge paedophile priest pursuit and a picture of Father Gray. Trevor picks up the full coffee pot, pockets his phone and exits the kitchen and wanders towards Kathy's office, a short walk down the corridor. We're in the nemesis boardroom. We see three people, Kathy, Felix and an older visitor. Meanwhile, we see Trevor enter with the coffee pot. They look very serious, so Trevor puts the coffee down on the credenza just inside the door and waits for Kathy to say something. Kathy just looks up and says, Thanks, Trevor. Trevor exits and closes the door behind him. But he stays outside the door, hoping to listen in to go back and say something to Kathy until Jody spots him. Hurriedly, he moves into the operations room. He sits down and, jo and Jody wanders over. He seems nervous. No clue of what Jody's about to say. Jody's quiet, but she says, Trevor, we must sometimes do things we'd rather not do for some of our clients. This might not be one of those times 
that we enjoy what we do for our clients, but we have to. She steps even closer and leans into his ear. We will not break the law, nor will we help anyone else break the law. But there are gray areas that might be distasteful. So we have to suck it up sometimes, my friend. Please, just go with the flow. As she finishes talking, we see the boardroom door open and Kathy lead out Felix and the visitor. Trevor gets up to meet them while they're in the corridor. They go to reception where Kathy stops and Felix and Trevor lead the, vi- the visitor out through the office to the main entrance. On the way out, Felix stops, gets back and has a chat with Kathy. Kathy, you need to call Bright right away. Listen to the tape first. It's marked on the system and good luck with it. Trevor then turns to Felix. Felix says, Trevor, listen, it's okay. I'll drive the Monsignor back to the office. Just give me the keys to the vehicle. Trevor hands Felix the keys and looks on as they move to the elevator. Trevor looks concerned. Jody's watching the activity at the elevator via the office video camera of the corridor. She's looking at Trevor's face. She's wondering where Trevor's motivation is and where his loyalty lies. bus pulls to a stop at the bus stop. The door opens, several passengers get off, including an elderly gentleman that steps out. He trips and stumbles as he drops a package. A passerby helps him to his feet. The man, without seeing who helped him, takes the package and then he looks left and right on the street. He makes up his mind and heads off to the left. He has a scrap of paper in his hand that he looks at as he moves along the street. It's a high-end residential condominium area where Nemesis offices are. The man walks on. After the bishop has left, Kathy returns to her her office looking somewhat grim. She doesn't like dealing with these church issues, but they're a big client, so she has to suck it up. She sits down behind her desk and reads for a laptop. She places on some headphones and hits a couple of keys. She swivels her chair and looks out of the large window. She faces the outside world. She seems to be under terrific strain. Moments later, she taps the computer again removes the headphones and reaches for the office phone. She says aloud to herself, I think this call needs recording. Before she dials, she hears the office front doorbell ring. Needless to say, Kathy doesn't react. She just grabs her office phone and continues to make the call. Kathy's waiting for the call to be answered, but there is no answer, so she has to leave a message. Yes, hi, this is Kathy from Nemesis. Mr. C was looking for me earlier today. I'm in the office now. If he wants to call me, please use my direct office number, not my mobile. It's down right now. 
Uh, having left the recording, Kathy grabs a cell phone laying beside her office phone and starts to dial a number. Obviously, this is not out of order. She just wanted to make the call come through the office line so she could record it. Meanwhile, Jody knocks and quietly enters. Kathy looks up, stressed and annoyed. Mr. B has yet to answer. Boss, your father's at the front door. What do you want us to do? Jody, if this is a joke, I'm not laughing. Boss, it's not a joke. Apparently Dave met your dad outside and when he let my dad into the building and buzzed him up. This is a joke, right? Kathy's extremely serious. Dumb Dave couldn't be that. Dave doesn't know about you, how things are with your dad. If your dad announces who he is, most of our guys would lead him up here. It's sort of natural. We see Kathy heating up. She's breathing heavy. She knows she can't talk like this, but she's trying to control herself. Her exaggerated emotion, she catches her breath and speaks. This guy, my dad, is a waste of space. Get rid of him. And Jody, I want to work with Dangerous Dave on my own. So go out and get... Kathy points to the door for a moment. She has forgotten what to say. She thinks she seems to be remembering something. Emotions rise again, leaving Kathy even more disturbed. Jody understands she's revealed a vulnerability. So Jody leaves the office. As she leaves, Kathy yells after and drag my fucking dad out of the building and issue him with a verbal ban under the Trespass to Property Act. Jody stops and listens. Kathy, if he ever treads on the doorstep of this building today, tell him I'll have him arrested. He will have plenty of outstanding warrants and the cops, the cops will grab him up in a heartbeat. And Jody, make sure you tell him all this, especially the outstanding warrant part. And get me in front of your dumb Dave friend ASAP. Jody leaves Kathy's office. The phone rings. Kathy hesitates slightly as if she's dreading the moment. She breathes in, breathes out. She seems neutral, she seems calmer. She picks up the phone. Kathy speaking, may I help you? Kathy listens as the tirade starts. She waits, then she hangs up. After a few moments, the phone rings again. Kathy looks at it for a while and picks it up. Kathy into the phone. David, if you yell at me again, I swear I will hang up. Even talk nasty, I will hang up. Do you understand? I don't work for you. I provide a service which can end if you want it to. Now, how can I help you, Mr. Bright? Kathy listens to the now quieter Mr. Bright. Probably given the explanation of his annoyed behaviour, Moments later, Jody slips back into the room while Kathy's on the phone. Kathy talking into the phone. Let me explain something, David. Our actions last night were probably due to you triggering the alarm yourself. And yes, we probably did tread dirt on your $100,000 Persian carpet. We in all likelihood did also pre pre push aside your silk drapes. And I think the finger marks on your wardrobe glass doors might have been us. So yes, we're guilty on all counts. If that offends you, tough. We are guilty as charged. 
Kathy listens again but cuts him off before he can complete himself. So, if you ever press your panic button again, like you did last night, we should enter the house, remove our shoes. Maybe you're being stabbed at this point. We need to walk around carefully, making sure we don't bump into all your valuables. And given those restrictions, we might get upstairs in time to apply first aid or CPR or fight it out with an assailant. How feasible do you think that scenario is? Kathy lets Mr. Bright answer again. She brings him up short. Yes, you did. You hit the panic alarm when you left the house. You used the panic code to arm your system. You used that, we have to arrive. You might have been being kidnapped, forced into the house. The guys got there in four minutes. You would have passed them as you drove out. We were at your home for, for four minutes. Eventually, another one of our team had to just dropped off nearby. So we had three cars there. We had gone into your house, searched it from top to bottom in exactly six minutes. But you were off to the theater. You could have been, however, bleeding on your Persian carpet. We didn't know that. That's what we do, and that's how we do it. No shoes off, no careful search into the house to avoid damage. You have insurance, I expect. Kathy again pauses as Bright speaks. That's it, sir. I appreciate you saying so. We are fast and we are thorough. Not to worry about the other two things, but first, never ever yell at my team. If you do, they will just hang up like I did. Then what you need to get done won't get done. Second of all, you need to pay your invoices. Bright is speaking to Kathy. She listens and answers. Frankly, Mr. Bright, big organizations like yours are the worst people for playing. I've tried asking Sheila, your assistant, and she says the last three months of invoices are parked on your desk. Plus the alarm installation is there as well. Bright is talking again. Kathy is listening. She pauses. That would be great. If you can get the checks down to reception today, I'll get them picked up later. We're happy to help, but only if we get paid. Bright is talking again and Kathy's listening. No problem, sir. I understand these things happen. Have a great day. We're quick, we're fast, we're efficient, but only if we get paid. Okay? The line goes dead, indicating that Bright has lost interest. Kathy hangs up and looks at Jody. Your dad is gone and suitably warned, but he looked bad, babe. Are you sure about this? On, the, on hearing this, Kathy holds up both her arms, slams her hands on the desk. I don't give a fuck about my long lost father. He's filth, he's pond water. And if big dumb Dave ever lets anybody else into this building, tell him I will crush his balls for him. Do you understand? At least I'll need a couple of months free rent in recompense for this. Chu will love that. Now fuck off and leave me alone. Jody, who was looking sympathetic, now looks annoyed. She exits the office, closes the door behind her and returns into the operations room. Meanwhile, Kathy grabs a mobile phone and dials a number. She looks worried, but she smiles when the phone's answered. It's a female. It's Julie, her sister. Hey, sweetie, it's me. How are you doing? Are you at school today or are you working? Julie, I'm on my way to work. No school today. It's been reading week, so I'd work all week. 
Tell me, have you talked to our damn brother Brad recently? I've tried him a number of times when I only get voicemail. I hope he's okay. Do you know whether he is or not? No, I've been busy, but I'll give him a go. I'll ask him if he needs money. That will cause him to pop his head up. Do you need anything? No, not right now. It's all good. Rent is paid. I'm eating. Can we see each other soon? I miss you so much. Julie, as soon as I get a break, let's go for some sun and somewhere. Look at your calendar tonight. Let's fix some dates. I miss you too, sister, but I'll find Brad. No problem. So you're cool. No issues. I don't like the sound of that, says Julie. Did dad reach out again? Are you okay? You know, if he won't stop, right? I'm fine. He's not been around here. If he does, I'll know right away. And if he does, he'll get nothing but shit from me. So don't worry, okay? I'm back at work. I love you, big sister. I'll look for a vacation date and I'll give you a call. Okay, babe, says Kathy. Let me know on those dates. Have a great day. Kathy puts the phone down and stares out of the window. She's tapping on her phone. She's texting Trevor. Text reads, Trevor, can you do your thing and find my brother's phone? Maybe give it a ping, as you say. I need to know where he is. Return text from Trevor. On it, boss. No worries. Kathy emerges into the operations room where Jody and Felix are looking at the board and shuffling some operational things around. It seems busy. As they turn and look at Kathy, she gets that special look. She looks at the board and sits on Jody's desk. The look she's receiving, she knows, she understands it, and she says, Guys, no eggshells, please. I'm fine. My dad has dogged me all my life. I can manage. Frankly, the only way to deal with him is not to deal with him. Good for you, boss, says Felix. The skeletons in my closet will get on great with yours. We've got your back, you know that. Listen, I've got orders to move Father Gray. We need to take him up to the regional support group home tonight. The media are going crazy searching for him. Yes, buddy, we need to get him up there. Can you make sure Peter's driving? There's something a bit wobbly about Trevor on this gig. Maybe he was diddled as a kid, I don't know. But let's keep him clear of this, says Jody. Kathy says, just to remind ourselves, we don't judge. We help when asked to, and only when we're asked to, because when we get asked, we get paid. If Trevor is the weak link, I don't need him. Kick him to the curb. He frightens me as a whistleblower type. Jody, he's your worry, okay? Sort him out or boot him. And Felix, before next week, I want everybody to re-sign fresh NDAs. Is that okay? Kathy proves that she can handle terrible things even when she's under stress. She can work at the same time. She has a serious face but a strong face. 
Both Jody and Felix look sympathetically, then turn and focus back on the board. Finishing with Crazy David on the phone, Kathy joins Jody and Felix in the ops room. They seem busy chatting, trying to make sure everything's covered. They turn and look at Kathy. They give her this special look. Kathy looks at the board and sits on Jody's desk. The look she's receiving, she knows and she understands it. But she says, Look, guys, no walking on eggshells, please. I'm fine. This has dogged me for all my life. I can manage. Frankly, the only way to deal with my dad is not to deal with my dad. Jesus, that sounds like an Oscar Wilde quote. Sorry, guys. Good for you, boss. My closet skeletons would great get on great with yours. We've got your back. You know that. Listen, I just heard from the bishop and we have to move Father Gray. We need to take him up to the regional support group home tonight. Seems that the media are going crazy trying to find him. Jody steps in. Yeah, buddy, we need to get him up there right away. I want Peter driving. There's something a bit wobbly, wobbly about Trevor on this gig. Maybe he was diddled. I don't know. So let's keep him clear of it, okay? Kathy takes a minute. She looks at them again. She says, listen, guys, just to remind ourselves, we don't judge our clients. When they ask for help, we help. Then we get paid. We don't volunteer for anything. I think Trevor's a little bit weak on this. I need him kicked to the curb. He frightens me as a whistleblower type. Jody's your worry, so please sort him out, okay? If you can't, give him the boot. And Felix, before next week, I want everybody on the team to renew and re-sign their NDAs, okay? Again, Kathy proves that she can handle terrible situations and stay focused on work at the same time. Nemesis van is waiting in the darkness for an electric gate to open. Peter's sitting in the driver's seat. As it opens, Peter navigates down a dark bush-lined laneway and then into a forecourt. It's in front of a single-story isolated building. As they pull in, they see a couple advancing out of the building towards the vehicle, holding up their hands. The man and the woman are dressed in religious garb. As Felix exits the vehicle, the woman steps in front of the van, indicating no further forward movement. Father Gray and Peter exit the vehicle from the back seat. Father Gray walks around the back of the vehicle and stands close to Felix. They march towards the man, while Felix is holding Father Gray. As they reach the man, he moves forward and takes Father Gray by the arm. Now both men are holding Father Gray an arm each. The man addresses Felix. Has he been searched thoroughly? 
Has he been alone since you took him into custody? Has he made any phone calls, either from his own phone or from any of your devices? Felix releases his hold on Father Gray. The, this, the mystery man takes hold of the father fully like a prisoner. Felix looks shocked. He glances at Peter still sitting in the driver's seat, who shrugs. Felix seems to hesitate. He does not really want to leave Father Gray there. Meanwhile, we see the father being whisked away towards the group of buildings. He moves forward, an outstretched hand to the man who's walking away. Felix talks to the mystery man. We don't need a signature then to hand over the father. But Father Gray is hurried between the two vehicles across the forecourt and into a double signless front door. Felix waits for a reply, but does not get one. He jumps into the vehicle alongside the van. Peter moves through a three-point turn as Felix turns and stares back after Father Gray. The van returns down the darkened lane. They arrive at the electronic gate, which opens. The video intercom they use to enter is covered by a 360-degree all-weather low-light video camera is positioned on a pole above the gate. Wow, says Felix. This is sophisticated for a rest home. It's all pretty fucking weird. Put your foot down, Felix. This place gives me the creeps. This system looks like it's designed keep, to p- keep people in rather than out. No shit, says Peter. Did you see the gate where it joined the fence? There was a serious trembler fence. No one gets over that without somebody inside being notified. You're correct, my friend. This is very creepy. The van drives out through the open gate. It swings out onto a single country lane, and we see the towerites disappear from view. The place they've just visited was Bickley, a camp for damaged souls who can be repaired with dedication and honesty, or so the sign says. Trevor's alone in the ops room and he's on the 9-8 line. So I can let her know you called, sir, but given the time of day, I'm not sure when she will get back in. No, sir, I cannot give you her number. Her mobile number, respectfully, she keeps to herself. And frankly, Mr. Klein, she scares me more than you do. So, but if your family or yourself are in direct danger right now, I can send the area car over. That guy will be there in a few minutes, but otherwise we will both have to wait for Kathy. Nemesis offices are located in is owned by uh, the biker gang, obviously through a third party, but Dave, Dangerous Dave, one of their representatives, is actually the building superintendent. He's laying on his bed with a tin of Guinness perched on his multi-tattooed chest. 
him and Jody seem to be avoiding eye contact. Jody is dressed and standing beside the 14th floor window, staring outside. It gives us a spectacular view of the brilliantly lit city. After a few minutes, Jody turns towards Dave. I know it sucks, buddy, but she's right. Your people would be as pissed as she is if they knew we were banging each other, especially here in the not yet sold penthouse. It's a bit cheeky and very dangerous. Dave takes a pull of his can of Guinness. But it's not just where we are, it's what we're doing. That's what offends them, both sides that is. Yes, you dickhead. Your people will think I'm manipulating you and your bosses think you are ratting out to me. The difference is my guys won't put a bullet in my head just to play safe. Your guys, there again, they would. Yeah, this is fucked up, but you're right. My guys aren't much on giving anyone the benefit of the doubt. Can we go one more time then? Let's say one for the road. Jody laughs, smiling. She says, no, buddy, let's stop it now. Maybe it's a holiday special occasion thing. Let's see. Jody's phone answers. The phone signals an end to the conversation. Jody talking into her phone. Yes, Trevor, what is it? Jody listens and speaks again. I'm not 100% sure, but I think she's gone off to visit with her brother at the university. Remember, you pinged him there for the boss. I'll try and maybe she'll answer if, if she sees it's me. So Mr. Klein wants to hear from her, right? Text me his number, thanks. Jody turns and sees Dave walking out of the bedroom. She takes that as her cue and she heads out too. feels strange about being back in Moscow. He didn't think he would, but he does. After the blow-up, Klein has authorised Kathy to send him to Moscow. He now looks up at the name of a bar that reads Mumley Troll. It's been a while since he's been in there and had an expensive martini, but Mumley Troll is the place it all happens. He walks in through the entrance dumps his phone in a small plastic tray and wanders through the metal detector surrounding the front entrance. It stays silent. He walks past the burly doorman, reaches back, grabs his phone and walks into the darkened interior. As he enters, and after a minute in the gloom, he spots the person he's looking for. She's in a booth. Tough-looking woman. She's downing a rather large martini. Vlad ambles across and speaking in Russian he asks the lady how much is that going to cost me darling Tanya I see you're still off the drink nice to see you too comrade responds Tanya cut the comrade stuff that was yesterday's news we are in the new enlightened society these days aren't we you mean our beloved KG used to be now masquerading as the FSB and actually no doubt probably listening to us now based on where we are Vlad waves towards the bar, indicating two more of what Tanya was drinking. They chat until the bartender indicates the drinks are ready. 
Vlad moves over to the bar, he pays for the drinks and wanders back to Tanya. On the way back, he slips into one of the drinks, a small USB key. Vlad looks at Tanya. This is a large, so be careful. It could easily choke you. Tanya spots the small USB stick nestling in the bottom of the vodka martini, containing her payment details. Julie noted my long-lost lover, and how is the family? All westernized these days, the kids must love it. I'm really surprised you did a Facebook reach out, but seriously, it's nice to be able to insult you again face to face. By the way, just so you know, I'm back on monitoring. So I'm on shift shortly, but it's nice to chat though. My dear drunken wife hates Canada, except for their famous liquor stores. She loves the variety and the endless amount available. Sasha is busy babysitting her while I do the security guard dig. So the grass isn't any greener then. Sorry to hear about Lydia, but she always did like her booze a bit too much. Very Russian, I'm sure. I'm doing well, nothing for months until tonight, that is. I think I'm past it, fucking stuff it wrecked three of my generations. And those that the drink didn't kill, Stalin did. It's pretty ironic, isn't it? Tanya is sliding into drunkenness and Vlad is worried she's working late and she can be in trouble. Listen, it was nice to catch up. You should grab a coffee on the way into work. Drink it. Black. Kitten. Oh, by the way, I have some coupons for the Canadian coffee company that's here now. Klein Coffee. Vlad stands up and hands over a bunch of Klein coffee coupons to Nadia. She stands, they hug, double kiss goodbye. Nadia glances at the coupons. Fuck, I can drink coffee for free for weeks on these. By the way, I don't believe the security guard gig, buddy, but good luck with whatever it is that brings you here to our poor, beloved Mother Russia. They part, they part company. Nadja leaves first while Vlad taps on his phone. Vlad is texting Kathy message reads just met with my ex she's as miserable as before but she was helpful i'm off to see my mother now wish me luck shortly after there's a ping a ringtone indicating that kathy's replied i know i've only ever met her once but give your mother my love if you need to buy her something that's not that's okay just stay in touch vlad hangs up tucks his phone away and he pauses before he exits the bar. He seems hesitant, like he's expecting something to happen, maybe maybe even hoping something's gonna happen. He edges past the two big doormen, drops his phone into the tray again, goes out through the metal detector, grabs his phone, and goes out into the dark, bleak Moscow night.
In the operations room, Kathy is studying the whiteboard with Felix. They seem to be judging some events when the hotline rings. Felix grabs the phone. Felix speaking, may I help you? There is a very quiet voice on the phone. Everybody except for Felix is straining to hear what is being said. Every so often, Felix offers short comments. Yes, Your Grace. No, not really, Your Grace. Obviously, we're very sorry and we offer our condolences. I'll make sure our end is secure. There'll be no comments from us, of course. Please let us know if we need anything and we can help you in any way at all. Again, our condolences. Felix hangs up the phone, seemingly stunned at what he has just heard. Felix is actually lost for words until Kathy startles him out of it. Felix, what the fuck? That was the Archbishop, right? He's dead. Jody joins in. Who's dead, Felix? For fuck's sake. Father Gray hanged himself early this morning in the Bickley isolation room. He used his damn cassock that they'd given him as part of his intake clothing issue. How horrible is this? The Archbishop wants a 100% press clamp. Kathy, I don't like this. This whole Bickley scene was creepy and weird. Ask Peter. Jody speaks as if she understands the entire situation. Felix, don't go getting all conspiratorial on us. The guy was suicidal when he first called us. You did a great job, Felix, getting him up there. But it seems he just couldn't get past these child molester accusations. And let me tell you that some of the public will be dancing in the street when this news gets out. Yep, yep, I guess you're right, guys. He's looking very disconsolate. Can I just clear off for a walk for a short while? Jody, you cover things for me. This is very hard to get my head around. Do you guys understand the seriousness of a priest committing suicide? Felix's voice trails off as he exits the room. Jody glances at Kathy. They both seem to be okay with the Felix and the dead priest news. They know that Felix will survive. He's been through worse. Vlad is heading away from the club towards the metro subway system that Moscow is so proud of when he notices a black Mercedes SUV pull up ahead of him. The rear passenger window is lowered and a hand waves Vlad over. Cautiously, Vlad moves towards the vehicle and the open window. Looking inside, he realises he knows everybody in the vehicle. The door opens, Vlad climbs into the back seat of the big vehicle and the door closes. The back seat of the very expensive Mercedes is dimly lit. Vlad is perched on a little jump seat facing the two hardly visible figures in the back. It's obviously Vlad blows, knows them, knows both of them, so things ease up quickly. The first to talk is Grigori. Grigori leans forward, speaks to Vlad. How's your mother, Vlad? Is she still wearing out her welcome at the local rehab centres? 
She didn't want to go with you to Canada. She and your beautiful wife could have got drunk there at their famous liquor stores. Alexei interjects. Now, 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 Grigory, be nice. Vlad has kept his word and many haven't. Now, Vlad, your coffee chain took a bad hit last week. I'm afraid there's been no arrests in the matter. It could be there would be more bombings of that kind, which would be a shame for such a bustling, successful chain. We notice their shares are down, probably because of this bombing. That's a shame. There's a pause. Vlad's thinking. The first thing that he mentions is, my mother's fine, thanks guys. I'm staying with her tonight. So I'll know more about her later. Are you able to drop me off? I guess you guys know the address by now. You must have been watching her for ages. The sleek Mercedes pulls away. Vlad gets electronically scanned from behind with a wand. He's not surprised and he laughs it off. Friends, I'm here to try and steady the Klein coffee chain ship. It's wallowing around and the ripples are hitting Canada. How do we stop this? How can we have this reality start? It's annoying for Mr. Klein to have his market valuation bobbing up and down like a whore's knickers. All we want is 1.5% of the common shares gifted to a holding company we know of in Panama. Then it's in our interest to look after Klein Coffee as they successfully open up and cross Mother Russia. Your, Your friend Mr. Klein won't even notice but they must be free trading. We don't want to sell them, but they make great loan collateral back here. So for all of us, it's a win-win, and we can absolutely guarantee that the bad guys go away with their towel between their legs. The big Mercedes pulls into a rather grubby complex of older apartment buildings, typical Soviet area. It's a typical scene of wrecked cars, vandalism, piles of garbage, and lots and lots of graffiti. Ah, says Grigori, here we are at your mother's. Nice to see you again, Vlad, and to know that we can be of assistance to each other. So, Vlad, you know how long this is going to take? We don't really want there to be any more nastiness, but you've got maybe a couple of weeks. Who knows what happens next? if we don't hear from your client. You are our friend. We know it's not your call, but you do your best to make them see sense. Lots of big sharks swing around out here these days and uh, all of them, all the way down the chain, they need feeding. Vlad climbs out of the Mercedes and looks towards the complex where his mother lives. Then he leans back into the car seat, shakes their extended hands. Gentlemen, it's been great to see you both healthy and prosperous. Long may that continue. I'll be back in touch in a few days. Hopefully it will be with good news. With that, Vlad shuts the cart door quietly and the big sleek vehicle glides away. Vlad turns and heads towards the building that houses his mother. As he nears the destination, three tough-looking young men step into his path. They stare and stare at Vlad. Vlad just stands there and looks back at each of them. And as if by magic, the three toughs quietly step aside. It seems that fear, as well as beauty, is in the eye of the beholder.
Toronto International Airport arrivals level. Vlad is walking quickly through the arrival lounge, out through the exit doors, then through the throng of waiting people. He walks along the curb. A black van stops and Vlad jumps in. The vehicle merges into the airport traffic, rushing out of the airport and up onto the highway. Kathy's driving the van on her own. She's expertly moving through traffic as Vlad speaks. Just let me turn my phone on. I wonder how many people can't understand why they are offered free Wi-Fi at the airport. Even encrypted, I'm still cautious. So, boss, in and out 72 hours with a result. Who's your clever boy then? Kathy rigorously checks her mirrors and speaks. No self-back patting yet. I can tell you that this deal brokered by us is going to be tough. It might even be illegal in Canada. It needs to be finessed. We need to have a huge sense of who these guys are and how we can spin that. Now, the big guys are on our side, right? Vlad's a bit shocked. Illegal? How could any company, even a country believed to be so culturally superior as Canada, send their people and organisations to risk-backed countries like Russia and think they can apply the same rules and principles that they have at home. It's like a vegan working in a butcher's shop. It's never going to work out. Are we going to meet with Klein or not? Kathy responds, In this car, between you and I only, Klein is okay with the quid pro quo with your Russian friends. But it's got to be very hush-hush. You flew economy, right? Stayed with your mother, right? You didn't talk to any client employees while you were there. So, to all intents and purposes, it was a private visit. No shadowy meetings with every heavy-looking guys, Politburo types, in the backs of any Mercedes. That never happened, right? So your visit was just to see your mum, in and out. She wasn't well. Vlad pauses, thinks, but it truly pisses me off that the head-up-their-ass corporate team don't have a clue what's being done behind their back or on their behalf. And nor can they. It's a win out there, so enjoy it. The billing on this particular gig has been superb. That's what counts, buddy. Not the morals of it all. Well, says Vlad, I hope Klein understands the downside of reneging on this deal. And what the fuck happens if he doesn't set it up right? It's going to be ugly. We need to get Klein's son out if they're not going to do anything. And the Canadian staff need to be pulled if this deal doesn't go. It's going to be very, very dangerous if these corporate types don't understand the realities of Moscow. Kathy, along with her sister Julie and twin brother Brad, are all running along the lake boardwalk. It's raining in a misty sort of way. They all are dressed to withstand a little wind and rain and Kathy is pushing the pace. Julie looks at ease, but Brad is noticeably struggling. 
Kathy leads them into a beach shelter just to get out of the weather. They all sit and take turns from drinking from the same water bottle. As it passes around, Brad speaks. Let's be honest, guys. Whatever Dad says can't be believed without a doctor in the room. But it sort of fits with him tracking you down too, Kathy. He looks shitty. I looked at him through the window of my place, but I only saw him briefly. He left when my roommate said I didn't live there anymore. You didn't actually talk to him though, Kathy, did you? So he found you as well? How did he do how did he do that? He found me too, and Julie. You've not had any visits from him, have you? No, nothing, but where I live, a guy looking like him would stick out like a sore thumb. He'd soon get challenged in one way, and no one around there knows my real name anyway. Kathy, that was very smart of you at the start to book me in under a different name. But it is nevertheless worrying that he's around again. Kathy starts to loosen up again, stretching, swinging, takes another drink from the water bottle, grabs both her siblings in a group hug and lifts them up. Guys, we can't, he can't hurt us. He's a wreck. But if either of us do see or hear from him, please call me, no matter when. Okay, let's go. Brad, try and keep up this time. The last one to my car buys lunch. The three siblings sprint away, heading towards the car park. Brad is barely keeping up. Quick look forward to episode three. This involves the Moscow situation continuing to deteriorate. The opposite end of the spectrum, we get involved in the arrest of a very, very high profile individual for shoplifting. There's an unfortunate saga involving a teenage daughter of a client who gets dragged into prostitution and drug addiction. There's a very high profile VIP gets entangled with a prostitution situation. And the cash flow for Nemesis continues to worry Kathy. Kathy. 